Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DealMaker Show. So uh, I'm very excited about today's guest. We actually have a guest from Chicago. So without further ado, Al Goldstein, what's happening? Hey, Alejandro. Uh, great to be on the show today. So you got into banking out of college, if I understand that right. I believe uh, you started at Deutsche Bank. So what were you doing there? Well, so I started uh, my career as an investment banker, which basically means I was carrying around everyone's uh, bags and pitch books. Um, and spending pretty much my entire day and night at the office, uh, and then very quickly learned that that uh, I was never going to be a very good long-term investment banker, which propelled me to become an entrepreneur. Got it. So did you did you catch like any? Because one of the things that I see from many successful founders is that they have that M and A experience or that investment banking experience. So what kind of learnings did you get from 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 your experience at Deutsche? So I was actually working in what's called leveraged finance, which is helping companies uh, finance themselves with things with bond offerings and debt financing, which was actually a pretty amazing experience as a 23-year-old uh, schmuck, I will say. I got to spend time with company CEOs and CFOs and help them build financial models, which was a pretty amazing experience. And, and the other thing is that uh, I met some pretty incredible people, a lot of whom I stay in touch with today, that all have gone on to do pretty uh, incredible things in and out of finance, in and out of entrepreneurship. Got it. Got it. And then from that, you get the entrepreneurial bug. So tell us about how you got this. Yeah, it's actually a pretty funny story. Uh, so I, I'm a, a Soviet immigrant, grew up in the former Soviet Union, came to the U.S. Uh, when I was eight years old. And uh, my older brother was 13 or 14, graduated from college in 1997, middle of the dot-com boom. He was a software engineer brilliant software engineer, started writing code when he was probably 12 years old, uh, went out to the valley. And uh, and he got to experience all of the craziness that was going on in the late 90s and early 2000s. And I was learning finance and math at the University of Illinois. And I was looking on and saying, hey, you know, why is this taking so long? I want to do that too. And uh, one of my internships when I was in college was at a trading company. The CEO of that trading company became a great friend. And he ultimately became my first business partner because he had stopped trading. He was looking to build a company. I was 23. I was getting very antsy uh, working in banking, which is a phenomenal experience. But it was just it was becoming pretty redundant. 
And so the two of us got together and said, let's build a company. And we weren't even sure what we were going to do, but we wanted to build a business. And he uh, said this great line, which I've now repeated to a bunch of young people that I meet with, is I want to put you into a position to benefit from your hard work. And um, it was the start of something pretty phenomenal. What he didn't mention was he wanted uh, me to, to go from having a pretty good salary to having no salary to moving back in with my parents during the process of actually setting up this business. Uh, but it was a phenomenal start to the journey. Got it. And so then your first company, I mean, was this a Innova International? That's right. Uh, we jumped into what's called digital lending or online lending today before that term really existed. Uh, started that business in uh, late 2003 when I left investment banking, early 2004. My brother, who was out in Silicon Valley, came on as our third partner and co-founder, really was the uh, brilliant software technical mind of the company. And, and the whole idea was to digitize credit for underbanked consumers in the U.S., which is a huge population, has become a huge uh, industry, and, and uh, the business did phenomenally well, which was, which was exciting. We went from zero to 500 employees over a four, four-and-a-half-year period. Uh, built, I would say, the best company in the space and ended up selling that business to a public company over a relatively short period of time. Got it. And what were the terms of, uh, of that transaction, Al? So uh, a lot of this is, is public, and, and so I can talk about it. It, it. In total, we only raised $4 million of equity capital, which is obviously tiny by today's uh, And ultimately, uh, the business sold for about $250 million. Really cool, uh, really cool. And, and there's this book, um, I don't know if you've, if you've ever read it, it's called The Founder's Dilemma. It's from this professor from Harvard, and he talks about co-founder dynamics, and especially when you're building a company with, let's say, a family member, because sometimes it's not as easy to really tell the things the way they are. So what was the experience of building a company, I mean, such a big company with, with a family member? Well, I've, I've read that book. I've read a bunch of books on the subject. I think I've broken every one of the rules uh, in all those books in, that, that talk about right. not working with family members and friends. And, uh, and I joke, there's this wonderful book called Founders at Work, uh, where it just interviews with 50 different founders. And uh, one of the quotes in there really resonated with me, which is, when you're 23 years old and trying to start a company, and this is before startups were as cool as they are today, it's just yeah. about, about getting people that you trust that want to work with you. And it's really, really hard. So we hired everyone we knew that was smart. And so my brother was my co-founder. My best friend from high school was our chief operating officer. Uh, another, but I will say my most, uh, my, my most uh, favorite my experiences from all those times are you get to work really hard with people you know and trust and you win or lose based on how much work you put in, uh, a lot of luck. And uh, sometimes it works really, really well. Sometimes it's challenging as long as you're willing to live up to those challenges. I think it's been great. So my two co-founders, my mentor and co-founder is one of my closest friends today. Um, we see each other all the time. He's uh, kind of the godfather to my kids and vice versa. My brother and I are super, super close. He's gone on to start a different company uh, and we continue to work tangentially together. Got it, got it. And really cool. By the way, that book, uh, Founders at Work, that's Jessica Livingston from Y Combinator. Is that right? Correct. That's a really good book. So then after this experience, you basically go on to start Pangea Properties, right? How, how, does the, how did the idea come together? 
Well, it's pretty interesting. Uh, if you remember that time, was when I had a two-year tail to run that business. And I left at the end of 2008. The world had blown up. We were in the middle of the financial crisis. And uh, growing up as an immigrant kid, I probably read too many of those Rich Dad, Poor Dad uh, books talking about how to buy real estate and invest in real estate. And always been really interested in doing something tangible where you could actually see the before and after photos. You see the product and real estate is one of those businesses that's very conducive to that. And so we had this idea to start buying some distressed properties and really making them very nice and making them uh, a great product for what we call the workforce housing tenant for middle income consumers that just want a great place to live. And uh, we were fortunate enough to have sold our business. So we had some liquidity. Our shareholders and investors had some liquidity. And uh, we were crazy enough to overlook the fact that we had no real estate experience. And so we jumped right in in 2009 and started buying distressed apartment properties around the Chicago area initially. Got it. And how was this experience uh, for you of, of, of shifting from one industry to a completely new industry that you had no idea about? Yeah, it was, it was, it was different, uh, but it was also really exciting and interesting. And there were a lot of similarities, quite honestly, because the tenants that we were building apartments to rent to were very, very similar to our borrowers in our first business. We understood their fundamental needs, and we thought that if we provided them a great product, they would be really loyal. And I think what we, we got a huge advantage in the that we came from a technology business that was focused on data and analytics, uh, and we were focused on modeling and machine learning pretty early when nobody in real estate was even thinking about those things. And right. so we had the benefit of approaching the problem with a clear perspective. And, and what we were very lucky and fortunate to do was we found some really with real estate experience that helped us learn the, build, the building blocks, the basics, the how do you manage property? How do you deal with physical real estate? But we definitely made a whole bunch of mistakes along the way. Got it. So how many, how many apartment units do you have now? So that business uh, has done phenomenally well. Uh, I'm no longer the CEO. My, one of my partners is CEO who's phenomenal, who's actually someone I met when I was at Deutsche Bank, which has been a trend, this, this idea of meeting great people in relation long term. But we own and operate about 15,000 apartments now across about four different markets. Uh, we actually started uh, a we call Pangea Mortgage Capital which is in the lending business, provide finance into an investment platform and fund involved. Got it. And, and so for this, uh, for this company, you are the, um, the executive chairman. So what is really the role that you play as an executive chairman here? What are the duties like? From the beginning, as executive, really on strategy and how do we build new business lines and, and invest in new ideas. And that's really how we think about our businesses. We're always trying to reinvent ourselves and think about ways in which we can continue to expand our purview. And, and we done that now a few times where we started just buying distressed apartments in Chicago. We now operate across multiple markets. We have a lending business that's scaled really nicely. We have 600 employees. Uh, we're providing third-party management construction services to other uh, real estate owners. And our goal is to continue to expand and do that. And, and I really work with our CEO, who's phenomenal, and help them think about the future, help them think about how to invest in new business lines, how to invest in people how to grow the uh, opportunity set that we have access to. Got it. Got it. And in 2013, you launched Avant. So didn't you have enough already with uh, operating your previous companies? Like how, how did you come up with this, with this concept? Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. I guess 
we're all masochists to a certain extent. And uh, personally, I just love the idea of, of building new things. And yeah. the way Avant came about was actually pretty pretty interesting. My two co-founders at Avant were actually former interns at Innova, my first company, and they're both phenomenal. Uh, one that's a brilliant software engineer, computer scientist, another is really, really a phenomenal data scientist, product-focused person that really thinks about how to build products in a unique way. And both of them were in Y Combinator. Actually, as you mentioned, that book originated from Y Combinator with a different company after they left Innova. And, and we had always talked about building something really, really big together in financial services. And, and there's this funny founder story when they were building their other business. They needed a loan for uh, their, their other company. And they went into one of these physical brick and mortar stores, tried to get one. The process was incredibly painful. The computers didn't work. They had to leave and come back. And yeah, so it was a phenomenal story how Avant got started. My two co-founders are actually former, actually after they left Innova, went and joined Y Combinator with a different startup idea, also around financial services. But we'd always talked about doing something really big together. And there's this galvanizing moment where they actually needed a loan to get their other business off the ground. They went into a physical retail location, tried to get a personal loan. The computers were down. Uh, the systems didn't work. They had to leave and come back multiple times. It was very clearly, this was our opportunity to build something really big. We think originally the idea was, how do we build a digital capital one? Basically, a, a digital bank that provides great products and services to the 40% of the U.S. consumer population that's in the middle income category that largely the banks haven't focused on. And that's what we started doing in 2013, 2014. I mean, and talking about capital one, I mean, we'll... We'll talk about that just in a bit, but you guys even got us an investor, uh, QED, Nigel, uh, who is one of the founders of Capital One. Great, great investors. We'll, we'll talk about it in just a, a little bit, but how, how was the process of, of, okay, so you come together with these guys that you knew them from before, but how was the brainstorming of, hey, this is kind of like the incubation of this concept and, and, and this is what it looks like and let's just throw it out to the world so that we see what, what happens. So I think our original idea was, really pretty simple. And in my experience, most, most ideas at their core have to be pretty simple to be successful because everything is so complicated as it stands, it's hard to do anything. So the more complicated ideas, the more likely it is to fail. So when we first started thinking about it, the idea was basically there, there is a huge market in the personal lending world that is brick and mortar based. Either you go into a physical bank branch or go into a non-bank lending branch to take a loan. And this is going back at this point, six or seven years. And our idea was really pretty simple is there's a reason that Netflix won and Blockbuster lost is because Netflix just made it really convenient for customers to access content. And when you're talking about money, you don't even have a physical asset. It's by definition digitized. And the idea was make it really, really simple and transparent and clean for consumers to access credit when and how they want to do it. So that was, that was really our core idea from the start. Uh, it was really hard to implement because financial services is complicated, requires lots of capital. It's very highly regulated. But that was really the simple idea from day one. Got it. So what ended up being the, um, the business model? So we, uh, over the last five or six years, we've really built two separate businesses, which is kind of interesting. For the first three or four years, we really focused exclusively on building the best lending company that we possibly could. 
And if you fast forward now, we've originated uh, nearly 1 million loans to consumers, over $6 billion of loans in the form of personal loans uh, through the Avant lending brand. We launched our own credit card product about a year and a half ago, scaling that up nicely. So if you need a credit card, you can now come to Avant, take a, a, a card, which we call the Avant card, uh, that's issued by our partner, WebBank. Uh, and then we provide a great product that's very transparent to consumers. And the long-term plan is really to build the digital bank with the entire suite of lending and banking services. That's the yeah. most transparent consumers could possibly find. And, but, and lending is lending is also painful, Al. Uh, so, I mean, there's just so much regulation. So so how, how was this process uh, for you and the team? Yeah, th there's a tremendous amount of regulation. Uh, we built our company from day one to really be focused on compliance and transparency. And so we have uh, today about 650 employees in the, in the company. Probably 30 to 40 of those employees are focused exclusively on compliance, making sure that we are fully, fully compliant with every aspect of the regulatory environment in which we operate, which is incredibly complicated because we operate in a federally regulated environment where you have a number of federal regulatory agencies that oversee us and our partner banks. We have uh, 50 states where, where we're operating. We have state regulators and legislators and legislation that we have to comply with. So that's really the number one focus is make right. sure we're providing great products to consumers that are fully compliant with all of the different regulations that we have to live within. Got so it. That, and, you know, with some of the people that I've been speaking um, that are also in fintech and also lending, they, they always say that some of the critical hires that they made were perhaps people that either had like the general counsel title or stuff like that. Did you experience something similar? Oh, for sure. So if you look at our founding team, we started with the three of us, uh, my two co-founders and I, our first Two employees were uh, folks that we knew really, really well. One was our chief operating officer who had worked at my prior company, who's phenomenal, who's now the president of Avant. And the other was our general counsel, chief compliance officer. And she happened to be my wife. And um, oh, wow. she had great experience. As I said, I've broken a lot of those rules. And she, she's phenomenal infrastructure systems that we possibly We grew from there. Uh, we brought on great people with bank backgrounds in banking. Uh, our chief risk officer spent 30 years at Household Finance and HSBC. We have folks like Nigel Morris, as you mentioned, from QED that are involved with the company. Uh, Sheila Bear is a former board member. She spent three years on our board. She's the former chairwoman of the FDIC. So we have a, a bunch of folks around the table that have been really, really helpful and instrumental in helping us to uh, what is a very complicated business. Got so, it. So, so during the early days, Al, like what were some of those same big challenges that you were that you were facing when building the business? Well, as, as you said, it's a very complicated business. So you have to focus on really the compliance and regulatory aspect of what you're trying to do. But also, we were lending out capital. We had to go and raise that capital from equity investors, but we also had to go get debt capital and funding for loans. And it's, it's a little chicken and egg problem where it's hard to get that kind of capital until you have performance. So until you actually have shown that you know what you're doing, that you know how to understand fraud, that your modeling capability, which we were really focused on building the best machine learning AI capability uh, in the entire lending universe, actually worked. And so until you could prove that, it's very, very difficult. And you fast forward today, 
we now are one of the most prolific uh, issuers of securitizations in the whole category. We're in the process of completing our 10th uh, securitization transaction. Uh, our invest, we, we've performed, we've really built out an amazing capability. So not only are we providing great products, the credit is working, which is really the other side of it that takes time to prove. It takes, and there's no shortcuts. That's the challenge is that no matter, no matter what you think and what you believe, the credit investors really are focused on time. And that's what we, we've really been focused on. And it's taken uh, at this point six years, but we think we've really proven ourselves as one of the best around in this world. Got it. And, you know, it's interesting that you, that you touch on this because, I, I mean, it just, it just, I was present to the fact that for an operation like this, I mean, it's capital intensive because you need the capital to support the growth of the business. But as you were alluding to, you also need the debt capital that you need, I mean, that you're really using to provide for, for the lending side, the piece of it. So can you tell us about how you went about tackling these fronts and what was the journey like? Yeah, so the, the journey was extremely challenging. And we started, as always, with folks that we have relationships with, folks that we knew this was really hot. Took time, we had to show that our performance was going to work, and, and that was okay. And over time, we built great relationships with large financial institutions, large banks, large uh, money managers and asset managers that really, I think, believe that Avant's lending business is really stable and, and really best of breed. So that's taken a long, long time. Uh, we've come around. I'll, I'll tell you what we've been focused on in the last three or four years is really building a completely new business. So we started as a lending company, Avant. We realized about three or four years ago that we were building some pretty amazing capability uh, around our technology and user experience, around fraud analytics and fraud capability, around decisioning, et cetera, that was not only relevant for us, but was relevant for very large financial institutions that were trying to digitize their own credit offerings. And so about three years ago, we packaged all of that into a separate company, which we now call Amount. And that business is really just a pure technology company that's focused on helping large financial institutions digitize their credit offerings. And some of our partners now are some of the largest banks uh, in the world. HSBC is an example, uh, which is a $2 trillion global institution, is one of our partners where we're helping them to digitize their credit offerings so that you get the same experience as a customer of HSBC as you would with a pure online company like Avant. Got it. And we'll talk about a amount just in, just in a little bit. So in, in, in this regard, like what is the main difference that, that you found that perhaps you can, you can share with the folks that are listening between raising money for your company and also raising money for the lending side? Well, on the equity side of the equation, uh, it's really about a story and a vision. And uh, I think we had a big vision. Uh, the consumer credit market is gigantic. It's $13 trillion just in the U.S. alone in outstanding loans. A lot of that is mortgage. But it's a really big antiquated industry. And I think from an equity perspective, you can get excited about the fact that there's a lot of room for disruption. On the debt side, debt investors aren't really betting on the story. It's, it's a component of what they look at, but really what they're betting on is facts. And that's where you run into challenges because when you start early, you just don't have that many facts. You have a lot of ideas and a lot of experience, which is what we had in the category. But until you actually show that you could perform over time, lending investors aren't really going to believe it. 
And so it's, it's been a challenge. It took us years to show that, that the performance of our models and our, our portfolios really are as good as we thought they were going to be. I think we've now proven that to yeah. a lot of the folks that we work with, but it just takes time. There's no shortcut to it. Yeah, I hear you. And on the equity side, as you were mentioning, the lineup of investors that you have is, is remarkable. I mean, you have RRE, Founders Fund, QED, we were talking about them, DFJ, and then I also saw more on the private equity type of thing, KKR, Tiger Global. So how did you manage to get these folks on board? Well, it, it started early with uh, August Capital, who is one of our lead investors. And um, it's a storied firm. And, and like most of the folks that we've talked about, I've gotten to know them over a very long period of time. Uh, one of the senior partners at August Capital has been a great friend for nearly 10 years. And we'd always talked about doing something together. So when we were talking about this idea, they were one of the first folks that we actually talked to. And they decided to invest and they led our first couple of rounds of funding. And over time, we met some incredible folks. We met uh, the folks at Tiger Global, who really had, had a pretty phenomenal view of the space and the category and have a pretty unbelievable track record and experience. And Chase Coleman, I think, is one of the smartest people I've ever come across. And they've been a phenomenal partner and then ultimately, we met General Atlantic, who led our last round of capital, and, and they, they have a storied firm. Uh, it's been invested in some of the biggest names in growth, uh, Uber, Airbnb, et cetera, invested in China. And we've been very, very fortunate that our vision, I think, is really, really big. And we try to set ourselves apart with execution, is whatever, whatever we say we're going to do, we really try to make sure we actually do it. And if we ever make a mistake, we're just always extremely transparent on the fact that, hey, this is what we said. We, we missed on this front, and here's why, but this is why we're not going to do it next time. This is why we're going to get better. And I think over time, that resonates with folks. Yeah, I mean, that's integrity, delivering on your word, and that creates a trust. So I completely see that out. And, and, and basically, like with those, I mean, as you've, you've, because right now for Avant, how much capital has been raised in total that is publicly disclosed? has raised about $600 million of equity capital in total okay. uh, and uh, billions of dollars of debt capital on top of that to finance uh, the lending in our portfolio. Got it. So on the equity side, as, as you were maturing as a business, because you've done multiple rounds, how, like, what kind of um, expectations did you see on investors? Like, what, were, what, did they, what did they wanted to really hone in in terms of, like, metrics? What was, what was important to them? So I think it just depends on what stage of the company. And in, in the beginning, the focus was really on the opportunity and how big it can be. And uh, we collectively think that we operate in a gigantic category where you can build a very, very large company. And today, as, as we said, we have two companies. We both can think have very, very large opportunities. So that, that was really day one. As we got more data and more information, it was really much more about the unit economics and customer acquisition and ability to scale and retention. And so as we got further along, we really were very focused on building the financial model, building out the unit economics, making sure our customers were really, really happy and they were really, really sticky and providing them great value. And so I think if you look at our later rounds, that was really the focus of investors is, does the model work? Does it scale? How do you get the profitability? How do you grow that over time? Got it. And for a business of this nature, Al, how important is a because I was speaking with someone, uh, I was just at uh, South by Southwest, and I was speaking with someone that is interested in 
in kind of like this fintech and also lending space. And one of his biggest concerns was about default rates. Was that also a concern for you guys? No, for sure. A hundred percent. And the lending business is actually really pretty simple at its core. If you think about it is we're trying to provide consumers with a great product. And the main costs that we have to incur are one is customer acquisition cost. What does it cost us to find those customers? And two is default cost. And there's a third, which is attrition is if our customers are happy, are they going to stick with us over the long term and then take more products? And as we provide more product capability, a la credit card or banking accounts, et cetera, will they want to continue to work with us, which in turn lowers that customer acquisition cost? So defaults are one of the two largest costs in the business. If your defaults are too high, it doesn't matter how great of a product you provide to consumers, it just doesn't work. And so that's, that's really at the core, specifically for debt investors. Got it. And in, and in 2016, I saw that, that you guys had revenues of over 437 million, over 400 employees. I mean, you were alluding to the fact that you guys have over 600 employees now. So how big is the operation today? So we have about 650 employees. Um, we, uh, uh, we're profitable now, which is something that has uh, been a big focus nice. for, for obviously it's a, it's a difficult challenge for startups, uh, specifically in, in startups operating at pretty big scale. We now operate uh, multiple sites. We have uh, four different sites where we have uh, product and engineering folks. We have servicing, uh, meaning uh, folks that pick up the phone and help our customers. Now in three different locations, uh, we service not only on our own behalf, but we help some of our bank partners with servicing their consumers, which is something that is uh, really, really exciting and new for us as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and also I see that, you know, uh, and you can probably confirm this, but, but startups, I think it's, it's not only about the team, the idea, the execution, but I think the, the timing, no? and, and I see that your space the growth is, is some, somewhere to be or expected to be up until 2025, growing at a compounding annual rate of about 52%, which is unbelievable. So how do you see Avant and, and the space in general in a few years from now? Yeah, I think the industry is gigantic. And if you think about other industries that have really transformed and become digital, the financial services industry is much, much larger. So if you think about transportation and with the Uber and Lyft or, or the uh, lodging hotel industry with Airbnb, those companies have become very, very big. The challenge with financial services is it's very complex and it's regulatory intensive and capital intensive. But we think the opportunity is gigantic. We think we have an opportunity to build uh, a really big transformational company just focused on providing credit to the 40% of the consumer population that really isn't served well by banks. So it's a giant, giant business. It's going to grow really, really quickly. I think our challenges really lay in our ability to execute. Right. And, and the other company that you're leading, uh, Amount. So what is, what is the business model behind Amount? So when we started, said we were really focused on building technology and capability for ourselves. But I think what we figured out fairly early on was we weren't competing with banks because we're really servicing a customer that the banks aren't really serving. And we think of our customers as, having household incomes between forty dollars and $80,000. And the banks largely want to lend to consumers that have household incomes that are higher than that. And they want to lend larger dollar amounts. And it's not their focus area. So what we kind of thought about is, can we package our ability, our technology into a separate company and offer that 
to banks and large financial institutions as a partner, as a pure technology offering. And that's what we did. We called that company Amount, and, and we think about it as what can we help our banks amount to? And that's a pure technology business. So there what we're doing is we're helping our banks to digitize their credit offerings. We're helping them deal with digital fraud. We're helping them use advanced analytics, machine learning, AI capability to improve their own credit ability, and then helping them improve their servicing capability, starting with personal loans, but really the focus is on helping them build the digital banks that they need to build that their customers want and demand. Got it. So, so Amount is a completely separate entity from uh, Avant, or are they related? So they're, 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 two, they're two businesses that are really side by side today. Uh, underneath one holding company. Okay, got it. And th there's actually a substantial benefit that they derive from each other because we don't, they're not competitive and our bank partners largely are lending to a different consumer population. So there's a lot of learning that they get the benefit of, but they really have two separate goals. Whereas Amount's business is really dedicated to helping our partners improve their own capability. Uh, and Avant's lending business is to help our consumers pro uh, provide them with great products. Got it. And and one thing that I wanted to ask you, I mean, it's a, you have so many things going at the same time, you know, either as you being the CEO or the executive chairman, as we were discussing earlier. So how do you manage your time to stay effective on all fronts? Well, I, I think the answer is not very well, um, unfortunately, but uh, <laughs> I, also, I also have three little kids who are, who are high <laughs> energy and uh, my wife, uh, is now back running uh, a very exciting company uh, called Spring Labs as a co-founder. And so we're, yeah, we're just, we have a bit of a crazy life. But I, I, I will say I've been very fortunate to work with some really amazing people over time. And so I, I just try to focus. So, so I, I spent virtually all of my time on the Avant side, on the Avant business, really focused on the Amount business, which is our technology business. And we have, we have a great team uh, dedicated to, to that as well. And then we have a great team dedicated to the Avant lending business. But it, it's, it's very hard. So I just really start try to optimize and focus on what's important. And um, that changes day to day. But it's, it's very, very hard. But really, it's all about the people around you. Got it. Got it. So I'm sure that in terms of optimizing, perhaps the, the people around you help with that. And and one thing that, that I've noticed is that on your past two companies, on let's say on Amount and, and then also Avant, you've been serving as the CEO and also the chairman. Uh, why, why is this the case? Why didn't you, let's say, have someone at the chairman to, to be able to hold you accountable or something like that? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I, th I think with startups, in my experience, there's really, I'm not sure what the specific role difference between the chairman and CEO is. I think as companies get bigger, uh, that may change, but really, if you look at our board, uh, we've tried to build these great boards that have combinations of folks from the investment world and the operations world and regulatory world. I think the boards really work as a unified body. So I'm just, I'm not sure there's a specific difference in, in chairman versus lead director versus board member. We really try to build the best team that we can. And over time, that, that changes. I think as you think about companies that go public, et cetera, uh, that the needs may change, the requirements may change, but really we try to just build a really cohesive unit and team. Got it. 
makes sense. Makes sense. And one question that I always ask the um, the guests that we have on the show is. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you've been around the block quite a few times, eh, Al. So if you could go back to the past and give yourself one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why? Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question. I think I've made so many mistakes over time. Uh, but to me, what, what I've learned is that you really need to have a great team when you're starting because everything is so hard. It's so hard to do anything yourself. And, and now we really try to focus on whenever we build anything new, how do we make sure we pull together the right team for all of the tasks required, at least for the first six to 12 months? Because I think about all the mistakes that we've made over time, it's always not having the right people at the table. And it's easy, easier said than done, um, just because teams are hard to build. Great people are always in high demand, and it's hard to find partners uh, with the same vision and, and ideas that you have. But I think the team is the key. That's a good one. And and when you're thinking about the team, Al, is there like um and I know there's obviously different people that you need to bring to the um to the equation, like the investors, the board members, the team players, the management, the leadership. So is there a specific type of quality or pattern that you have recognized on the people that you want to have around you? I, th- I I think it just depends on the business that you're trying to build because every business is so different. So if you think about financial services and specifically uh, fintech, clearly, if you're trying to build a fintech company, you need someone that's going to own the technology side of the equation. You need someone that's going to own risk and understand uh, risk and analytics. You need someone that's going to own regulatory and then someone that's going to be the probably the externally facing uh, person focused on investors and capital, et cetera, versus real estate is very, very different. So I, I just think it really depends on the team you're trying to bring together. And to me, the biggest issue is how do you how do you make that team gel? And one of the books I've read recently that uh, that I really love is The Culture Code. Uh, I think it's written by Dan Coyle, and it talks okay. about it, it. It's just a phenomenal read. I've asked most of my partners and execs to read it as well, and it it just talks about what makes different high performance teams successful. And and the definition of success is more than the sum of the parts. And so what makes folks like the Navy SEALs and SEAL Team 6 successful, what makes folks like certain basketball teams and sports teams successful and and certain uh, companies more successful? And there's just such a huge value to culture, in my opinion as well, is if you can build that right team, which is incredibly difficult to do, you can accomplish almost anything. But it's hard to define what that takes. So that's that's the big challenge. Got it. Got it. I love it. And what is the best way for folks that are listening to reach out and say hi? I'll... Yeah, always just send me an email. My email is uh, really simple. It's alg at avant.com. Uh, love to chat with you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Al, for being on the DealMaker Show today. Thank you very much. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.